Well, good morning. I am so glad that each and every one of you is here today. So we're going to dig into this last chapter in Romans. We've been in it for 26 weeks, and it's uh, bittersweet sometimes when you finish a long series. It's like, oh, I'm going to miss Paul. I'm going to miss all these people. We'll probably revisit them at a time or two. But uh, anyway, we'll come to that in, here in a second. But I uh, wanted to let you know what's next. What's next? So we're finishing up Romans today. And then we're going to spend four weeks in the book of Jonah. And if you grew up in church and you had Sunday school, you, you probably uh, have pictures of Jonah and the whale and the big fish and all that stuff. And there's a lot more to Jonah than a fish story. So we're going to look at Jonah, the gospel on the run. And there's a, uh, you know, we're going to look at the character of God. We're going to look at Jonah as this kind of wayward prophet on the run, and there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. So we'll dig in there, and then as we get into um, the fall, we're going to look at, really, what, is it, what does it look like to live a, a, a Jesus-centered, gospel-centered life in the context of, of church, of home, of work, and in particular, in you know, about mid-August, we're going to really dive into what really matters to us as a church, you know, kind of set some vision moving forward. So uh, really excited about that. And today we're in Romans 16, and, and you'll, you'll see here in a second, we're, Paul's going to mention all these people, and he's going to thank all these people. He's going to commend all these people. And we have uh, uh, two of our people, uh, Greg and Shirley Carlson, who have been uh, longtime members of Community Church of Greenwood and have been fighting the good fight in the mission field uh, with uh, One Mission Society for a long time. And they're going to move to Australia here at the end of July. And we're going to send them off uh, July 14th. We're going to have a dessert pitch in out here in the Grove, and we're going to pray for them. So, uh, oh my goodness, we love them, and we're going we're to miss them, and we're going to pray for them um, as they go. But the great thing about uh, this whole Jesus gospel thing is we never really have to say goodbye, right? We never really have to say a final goodbye. So uh, hope to see you on the 14th as we... Uh, Pray for the Carlsons. So we're in Romans 16. Let me transition us there. And my outline people, my structure people, I know you're there. All right, I'm going to give you a picture. Okay, we're going to get a picture of the church. We're going to get a warning to the church. Then we've got a promise for the church. And then I'm going to give you a concrete plan that you can walk away with today. If you're not an outline person, that's fine. Just hang on for the journey. All right, let's go. Are you with me? All right, here we go. Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Okay, if you haven't been with us on the journey, so glad you're here. This is the last one. Uh, the I here is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul has, is writing to this church, these little house churches in Rome, and uh, this looks like a just kind of throw away. I'm just mentioning a bunch of names, but it's a lot more than that. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancaria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So Phoebe is the one who has taken this letter and read it to the church probably fielded a lot of questions uh, along the way. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. 
Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelaetus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. And my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asnacritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Some of you may be thinking, good night, why are we looking at this list of people? Of all the things you could preach on, why this list? I think this list is incredibly important. Because part of what Paul's going to say is, you know what? I've given you all this theology. We've talked about justification and sanctification and glorification and all these fancy theological terms which are absolutely critical and important. But don't forget the people. Real people in the middle of it all. So what do we see in this list? I want to highlight a few things that I believe are really critical for us to see. First of all, we see a diversity in background and ethnicity. We see Jewish names. We see Gentile names. We've talked, if you've been with us, we've talked a lot about these disputable matters. These were real conflicts that they had about what really matters What do we keep from our traditions? What do we need to let go of? How do we live with one another? How do we not divide? But these conflicts are not in the abstract. They're always personal. They're always real people. Okay, I'm going to give you some practical stuff here in a few minutes. But right now, I want you to even be thinking, where do do you have conflict? Where might there be a spirit of divisiveness? But they're up close and personal here. Real families, different backgrounds. There's a diversity in gender. Men, women, single, couples, married couples, all working together, all sacrificing, all leading, all risking their lives and their livelihoods for the kingdom. Now, as we see this picture almost 2,000 years ago, Remarkably countercultural. This was a time when women had very little status. And to see Paul mentioned by name, all these women, leading, serving, sacrificing, what a beautiful picture. I believe that's a great model for us to even look at now. 
So think about that. Diversity in wealth. Phoebe's a wealthy benefactor. She kind of funded a bunch of stuff. Priscilla and Aquila led a church in their home. Others belonged to the household of Narcissus. Diversity in jobs. Some had the resources to work full-time for the church. Others kept their day jobs. Diversity in work and fruitfulness. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Great names right there. They work hard, but Mary and Persis work very hard. Some are commended for their exceptional courage. Andronicus and Junia are outstanding among the apostles. I wonder, sometimes when I look at scripture, I wonder, what, if, what about the folks that were sitting there and said, is he going to mention me? <laughs> why, why, how come my name's not mentioned? There's a humanness to this. I just wonder these things. But Paul's going to commend these people, and he's not afraid to say thank you and praise them for their work. There's a diversity and closeness to Paul. Some are friends. Rufus's mother has been like a mother to him. Others are just part of the other brothers and sisters category. Diversity of time in following Christ. Epinetus is the first convert in the province of Asia. Now he's in Rome. Andronicus and Junia came to Christ before Paul. And they went to jail with him. Now Rufus. Rufus is an interesting character. Many scholars believe this. If you look at Mark 15, 21, it talks about Simon, the son of Cyrene, who carried the cross. Mentions his sons. Alexander and Rufus. I like to believe that this is the Rufus we're talking about here. Simple argument is they wouldn't have mentioned his name back then if he didn't become somebody in the church. So what's the point of this list? Why is it in the Bible? One of the things we believe about the Bible is that it's all, the whole thing's inspired. All scripture is God-breathed. It's here for a purpose. It can teach us something. We get a picture of the church. We get a vision of the church. That is so beautiful. It's a diverse, multi-ethnic, but all united in Christ. That's the picture that we see. Points us to Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Paul says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What a vision, what a challenge. And I believe it, asks, it challenges us to ask a question today. Where have we failed to value, to celebrate, to live out this vision? Where have we failed? Now, as we think about our particular time, this is what I want you to do today. When we read the Bible, we, we look at it in context, we understand it, we 
We look at the people, we get the, uh, you know, the theology, the ideas, and then we try to apply them to today. How might this apply to us today? Well, let's face it, we are blessed to have been born at a particular place at a particular time. And we can celebrate our freedom. We celebrate, celebrate that today, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We can fully celebrate that blessing. At the same time, we live in a particular place at a particular time when we are examining and re-examining and coming to terms with the reality of our individual and collective failures to live up to those ideals. It's both. We can celebrate our freedom, celebrate a lot of things at the same time, take a long, hard look and say, where, where have we fallen short? Now, all of this pales in comparison to this. The most important is our identity, our one in Christness. As a church, as a local community, learning and living out the gospel and sharing this hope with those in our community that aren't a part of a church. We've talked about the 100,000. We've talked about this, trying to make this concrete. You know, the, the, the folks in our backyard who don't have a church home. And I think it's fair to ask the question, how do they see the church? How do they perceive the church? Now that's a big question with lots of different answers. Some interesting data from the Barna survey just came out. It said 21% of those who are not a part of a church don't claim to follow Christ only 21% have a favorable view of the church. That means of the 100,000, I'm going to do, do rough math here, English major, not a math major, do rough math, but of that 100,000, about 80,000 are probably indifferent or do not have a positive view of the church. It's fair to ask the question, why is that? What is the, what is the picture of the church that we are presenting. Back in the day, it was countercultural and there was all kinds of issues. It's always been a rub against the culture. There was a point in time in the early church where the, the love of the church, the unity of the church brought people in. I think that's a challenge for us today. How do we present Christ? How do we represent or represent him to the world around us? So we have this picture of the church. Now what's the challenge to that picture? Paul gives us a warning. How many of you like warnings? Do you like to be warned? If something bad's coming, I would want to be warned. Paul's going to give a warning. He says, verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out. Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. What does division look like? What, do divisive, what does that look like? 
Well, Paul says their, their core problem is that they, they've got, they serve their own appetites, not Christ. Now, let me make a distinction. I think it's really critical. Really critical. There's a huge difference between divisiveness and genuine debate in love. Are you with me on that? There's a difference between trying to divide, trying to create a wedge, and, you know, last couple weeks I put a couple stools and, and chairs, and I said in the middle here, all right, we have disputable matters, we have things that we might agree to disagree agreeably on, but we ought to face one another. We ought to be eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee, as we have conversations. I hope you're having some conversations with people. As your kids get older and they start to ask you questions and all that, okay, let's, don't be afraid. <laughs> let's have those conversations. Let's listen. Let's do those things. Difference between that and division that is really meant to build somebody else up and not Christ. How do you know? Ask yourself the question, who's getting the glory? Whose reputation is being built up or torn down? Now, in Paul's day, the challenge was, in many ways, making some secondary disputable issues primary and adding to the gospel. It was you know, I, I, you can't eat this meat because it was sacrificed to idols. You know, certain days mean more than other days. There were all these issues that they had to confront. The history of our church, the history of the church universal, has fought those battles over years. If you've been in church for a minute, you know that we, not everybody likes the same kind of worship music. Not everybody likes to do church the exact same way. So how do we not be divisive? How do we have those conversations in genuine love but not be divided? In Paul's day, there was teaching contrary to the gospel and there was a style of smooth talk and flattery that deceives. We all like to be flattered. Paul says, watch out, be careful. Sometimes it's more about personality and power. There's a pattern of this world. Paul said that earlier. He said, hey, look, don't, don't conform to the pattern of this world. This is the way of the world. Deception, flattery, power. I'm giving something to get something in return. Beware, watch out. That's the warning. That's the warning. Let's go on to verse 19. Everyone has heard about your obedience. It's a nice thing to hear. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you, but I want, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Paul's saying is, look, be an expert in what's good. Be an expert in that. Study that. Be wise in that. But don't even be a beginner in what's evil. Don't even start. Don't even entertain that. Watch out. What are you allowing to influence you? 
What, what, what are you taking in? These are some questions you want to think about. Now, let me give you a promise and then a plan. Here's the promise. Oh, it's a good one. Go to verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. There's an old church camp song we used to sing. Some of you are nodding at me. I won't sing it. I haven't had my five lessons from Matt yet to teach me how to sing. But that's a victory song. That's a promise of victory. That goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, the little division, the serpent, Satan, the evil one. God curses. The snake says there will be enmity. There will be division. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus will crush the serpent. The God of peace will have victory. The God of peace will have victory. Now, this is the promise for the not yet. It's a future deal. Victory. Big picture. Whatever you're going through right now, the promise is Jesus is going to have ultimate victory. Whatever pain you're going through, whatever junk you're going through right now, Jesus will have victory. That's the promise. We know who wins. What that looks like, we might debate, but we know who wins. Jesus is coming back. Nobody knows when, but he will win. He will have the victory. We can sing about that. We can celebrate that in our lowest times. We can rejoice that that's true. The heart of the gospel is Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death. Disease, decay, all that Jesus has won. That's already, in some ways, that's, he's already paid the price. He's already done those things. That's what we've talked about in Romans. But the not yet is to come. That's great news. The other part of that good news is the promise is for the right now. In the middle of the mess, Jesus is there and has victory. In the middle of it. Paul says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And then he takes a turn. He goes back to the people, which I absolutely love. As I've studied this, it's, he's going to give this brilliant you know, promise of victory and doxology and all that at the end, but he's got to go back to the people first. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And then verse 21, Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you. As do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. How cool is that? It just gets mentioned. And our brother Cordus send you their greetings. The promise is in the midst of the people. Don't forget the people, says Paul. I love the personal connections here, and I want to show you something. As we look at the Bible, as we look at God's Word, 
And you say, well, how did the Bible get put together? Well, you know, I don't have time for that right now. That's a big question. But here's, here's something I want you to see, though. Inspired by God. All of it. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired. All the high view of Scripture, 100%. And God works through human processes. Tertius wrote down the letter. God inspires Paul, dictates it to Tertius, writes it down. Human processes, fully inspired. Both are true. Now, what does that mean? Why does that matter? God meets us in the middle of our mess with his truth. God meets us where we are. We We don't need to run from that. We need to celebrate it. Because God meets us where we are. What's another name for Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. Even God's word, fully inspired, meets us in the middle of our mess. Do you see that this morning? God's word meets us where we are. Paul didn't forget the people. They're there. Let's celebrate it. There's things we may disagree about and debate and all that, but it's the people God is working through. Now, let me give you a plan. Let me give you a plan. I don't want want you to walk away without a plan today. Roll up your sleeves if you got them. Let's think about a plan. I want you to think this morning. Now, Paul's writing to a church He's talking about divisiveness that can ruin a church. God blesses unity. Difficult to work through division. But I want you to think this morning of where is there divisiveness in your life? Let me broaden this just a little bit. Because I think the spirit of divisiveness can work the same. And how we respond can be the same. So think about your own life. Where do you, maybe it's in your home. Where do you have division? Where do you have that just wedges, divisiveness? Maybe it's, maybe it's at work. Maybe it's within the church. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Wherever that may be, wherever that is, where, where might there be divisiveness? Paul says, Watch out, watch out, watch out. Let me warn you. Don't step in the hole, don't fall off the cliff. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to give you this promise. Now let's put put a plan in place here. I want to give you four four steps as you think about this. Kind of in light of uh, what God has for us today. Because Paul's saying, look, don't be naive. Don't be naive, don't be simple. Think. Open up your eyes. Be wise. When you see division, when you feel like unity is under attack, let me give you four things. First of all, preach. Preach the gospel to yourself. You don't need me every day to preach. Preach the gospel to yourself. Okay, what's the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus defeated the power of sin and death and rescues all who believe in him. And it begins with this idea that all, all, all 
have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's an all-inclusive statement. We begin there. Oh. Now, the good news is, Matt read it in Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no, there's no shame. That wrath of God has been removed, we've been reconciled. We actually have the opportunity when we receive Christ, when we, we ex- believe in him, we become children of God. We have to preach that. Whether you're going into a difficult meeting at work with your boss, whether you're going on a a family vacation and there might be difficult relatives, whatever the situation, preach the gospel to yourself. Start there. Oh, okay. What does that produce in me? Some humility. I didn't do anything to earn it. Now, then I want to pray. I want to pray the gospel. Okay, I'm going to preach it to myself. I'm going to pray the gospel. And I want to give you a prayer. I mean, this, is, this is straight out of Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is how Paul prayed. Paul didn't necessarily say, hey, I want your problems to all go away. I want life to be easy. I want it to be all rainbows and unicorns. No, he said, look, this is my prayer. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of his righteousness to the honor and glory of God. Now, when we pray that prayer, my discernment, my ability to say, hey, this is my next right thing to do, comes out of love. It comes out of love, not just generic Hallmark card, no offense to Hallmark card love, but generic, not generic, attachment love. Jesus died for me. This is how he demonstrated his love. It's that attachment love that I can then show to others. But that's what I'm praying for, that my love would abound. You may say, well, I'm really mad at that other person. I don't want my love to abound. Keep praying. Keep preaching the gospel. Now, then I want to process through the filter of the gospel. Again, make it concrete. Think about your situations right now, whatever it is you're going through. The gospel can be a filter for us. What's a filter do? It keeps the nastiness out. My court for many years has looked like a used car lot because I've had kids in old cars. I think the last one died. I have a tow truck in my uh, contact list. I think it's the third Gallman vehicle to go that way. Probably because the oil didn't get changed enough. That oil filter didn't get an opportunity to do its thing. But what does a filter do? It filters out our pride, your pride, my pride. That says, hey, this is really about my power This is about me getting my way. Mm -mm. Nope. That's not the gospel. 
The gospel's genuine love. Now, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to pray the gospel. I'm going to process my situation through the filter of the gospel. And then we're going to persevere. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. Yeah, that sounds like a pep talk. It's a little bit of that. But it's rooted in God's love for us. It's rooted in, hey, I'm ready to give up on somebody. Have you been there? Have you been ready to give up on somebody? (sighs) Jesus didn't give up on you. (laughs) He didn't give up on me. Persevere. Persevere in genuine love. Love that's not hypocritical. Love that's not giving to get what I want. Persevere. Jesus persisted. Jesus persevered for us. So what do we do? We go through this process. Again, everybody's got a different situation. But I get my mind right. I preach the gospel to myself. I I get my heart aligned as I pray. I have the wisdom to see, discern. Sometimes there may be people I need to avoid. That can be true for your situation. But I believe the gospel says I never dismiss. I never have a dismissiveness towards somebody. And then I don't quit because I've got the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for giving us Jesus. We thank you for the power of your word. And Father, I pray for each one of us that um, as we just filter our own lives through the gospel that you would uh, show us our next right thing and remind us who we are as your children. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.